to Five Blossom Radio with your host, Denise Richard. Five Blossom Empowerment is based on an unusual model for growth, combining elements of the arts, health, and spirituality. Now, here is Denise Richard. Hello, and welcome to Five Blossom Radio. This is Denise Richard welcoming our listeners today, and we have a very fun fun podcast uh, welcoming James and Jamesy and the title today is Cultivating the Spirit of Play Through Theatre. So we introduce the Canadian performance company James and Jamesy uh, who are here to engage us in a joyful and playful discourse. Uh, James and Jamesy have been working in this um, comedy theatre play uh, house for quite a while, and we're highlighting today the profound and sensitive nature of theatre craft and their work, and how the making of the performance is the holding of good relationships. So I'm here today, and I'm checking in. Hello, Aaron Malkin, and hello, Alistair Knowles. Are you there? We are here. I'm here. <laughs> Welcome. It's a great opportunity to speak to you. And um, uh, this is our first podcast together, so I'm, I'm looking forward to enjoying the play here. Um, please, uh, oh, your work over the past, I think it's almost a decade now, if I believe uh, you've been working together. Uh, please tell us a little bit about uh, yourselves, like, um, tell our listeners, please, uh, what brought you to theater and how did you come to work together? Go for it, Aaron. Well, uh, sure. Um, we met, uh, working on a community theater show in 2012 in Vancouver. Um, and it brought together uh, a whole bunch of artists that, um, uh, it, the focus of the performance was um, it, it, it was around a dance marathon, but with the um, the characters, uh, the director was very interested in um, skills that come with some clown training that she had done, um, which fostered connection uh, with audience um, on on a real on a level where. Um, like real thing, it, the, the connection is real with the audience. There's a there are moments of uh, of realizing that that was <laughs> where you can laugh at what just happens together. There's mm-hmm. um, so it, more there's than just of, a physical dance, more more of a, a fuller engagement with the audience. Yeah, so Certainly, I, mean, I think dance that, was kind of uh, go go on. Like the framework of that. Show. <laughs> uh, the, the framework of that show was was that a dance marathon was taking place, and the audience was actually the, the real live audience of a dance marathon. So each of us as performers uh, were encouraged to, in character, interact with the audience throughout the show, before the show, after the show. And Aaron and I didn't really have a lot of clown training at that point in time, so it was this real uh, awakening that this this playful nature, this please playful interactions could be had with an audience. But through the through the format of theater. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At this point, neither Aaron or I thought that that we were gonna go down the road of this being professional. We thought of it as a community. So you met on the dance project. floor. Hello? Sorry, what was that, Janice? 
And I, I made a little pun. I said you you met on the dance floor. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and we did, we did, and we that dance marathon. It was a, a four week production run, and by the time we finished it, we thought, oh my gosh, this is so so enjoyable. This uh, I want to keep doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we how do we keep playing together? And one of the ways uh, to to keep playing in front of an audience is to put on a show. In fact, that was the only knew I, the only way I knew how to <laughs> how to make that happen. So we started creating opportunities for ourselves to to play with an audience. So be it cabarets or or eventually creating a a full length show ourselves. Mm-hmm. Again, with the premise that we were just going to be playing, uh, not making a living out of it. That the professional pressure the professionalism of it came almost as an afterthought at that point in time. Right. So I, yeah, I for would... myself, I was, Oh, sorry. Go on, Denise. No, please, no, please go in. Go for it. Uh, well, at the time I was working in visual effects for film. Uh, I was sitting behind a computer all day. Um, and it hadn't occurred to me that I was going to be able to, um, Earned my living doing something that was so fun and that I was so passionate about. Um, I, I didn't <laughs> anticipate what what has come to pass for us mm-hmm. uh, by any means. Um, at the time, I actually took to um, teaching uh, the clown training that I was doing because uh, I loved it so much, but uh, because I thought that teaching a class would be uh, a better, a more reliable revenue stream. Uh, uh, but I, on that show that we met on, I ended up quitting my job in visual effects um, and pursuing uh, clown and interactive performance um, as much as I could, not knowing how I was going to make it work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you took a big plunge. Yeah, and, and then... And then the, the, the projects that followed, um, I just, I just uh, well, we both learned about um, selling tickets to shows and, and promoting and uh, mm-hmm. just ways of making it work better financially. But the mm-hmm. play, the interaction, the connection uh, was there from the beginning mm-hmm. with audience. So, for those who don't know much about James and Jamesy, how would you, how would you describe what you do, or in a, in in a few sentences, how would you describe the genre, the the way of approach, or how would you describe yourselves? I think of James and Jamesy as as a portrayal of friendship. That's uh, where the friends challenge each other to to into new discoveries. The discoveries primarily being. Uh, in the realm of the imagination, the mm-hmm. realm of the play, and mm-hmm. also the appreciation of being together in a present moment. Mm-hmm. And that that appreciation extends into the audience. And in fact, all those three things do, the, the, the sense of play does and the imagination. Mm-hmm. I, I think those, it's, you know, people people have different methods in life of, of feeling grounded or feeling connected or feeling they have community. And, and and feeling like they're living in the present moment. Some people might do a yoga class or meditate or some people might go on long walks. You know, one of the methods we 
leader is to try to, in our shows, really celebrate that we're all here together. Mm-hmm. And from the stage, that's the challenge we face as performers, is inviting the audience to recognize that, yes, I'm a performer, yes, I'm playing a character, and yes, I'm, I'm playing, but really, that invitation to join us in the, in the recognition that, that this is happening now. And yeah. that is what we have. And in fact, all we have in this present moment, we're, you know, we're living that moment once, and that is now. And, and can we enjoy it together? Can we let mm-hmm. down our guard? Can we acknowledge but let go of the identity of audience patron or performer or, or even that, you know, I, I'm not, I imagine many people come to our shows not thinking of themselves as being particularly silly or funny or playful, but, you know, maybe good natured. And for us, that's all we need. We just need a, we just need someone willing, willing to, to try. Mm-hmm. Play with us. So, Aaron, would you add anything to that? Uh, well, as Alistair's talking, my mind wanders to um, moments in our shows where, at one point uh, in in the, in performing the show, like we've performed our shows, uh, I think by now over eight hundred times. Wow! And. It's always because we love to uh, involve audience in the creation of the show, in the worlds that we create. um, Often things happen that we didn't anticipate. And in those (laughs) moments, sometimes it might be a mistake or something that just surprises us. Like one time uh, in a show, there's a part where uh, Alistair Jamesy um, kind of faints. His character kind of loses consciousness and and falls back and I catch him. And when I catch him, um, it causes me to do a big lunge, a big squat. And once <laughs> uh, it, it <laughs> tore my trousers just down the back. And <laughs> in that moment, I was like, that is a huge tear. I don't know what to do now, but I guess I'm just going to have these torn trousers for the rest of the show. And so I told the audience what had happened as, as, as the actor, and, and I, I showed them because they were going <laughs> to, otherwise they were just going to be like trying to look for it the rest of the show. And it warmed up the whole audience, that fumble, you know, and that, that we were able to laugh at ourselves so heartily. Um, it helped everyone kind of, ease out of their own shells and their own kind of worlds into this space where it's okay to be who we are. It's okay to laugh at ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's okay to be human. Of, and so we embrace those moments when they happen. And sometimes, you know, with various things, we even try to recreate them. We try to recreate accidents because of how uh, well it works in bringing people together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I was looking at your website and I I was uh, musing on how you describe it as a fantastical trips of the imagination or with roots in physical comedy, clown and dance. I mean, it's it's quite a, I mean, it's a lovely, lovely even in thought just to read that. For those who know little um, about your work, how would you... How would you describe the influences? Like, who would be your, are are there past comedians or past um, theater um, 
representatives who would play with you who would say, oh, yeah, we, we, we reflect on this or reflect a little bit on that? I would say, yes, there are sort of large names out there, people whose names might be familiar with, like, you know, things we grew up enjoying, like Monty Python or Rowan Atkinson. But uh, from the performance side of things, as, in, as we got into performance in our adulthood, the influences were a lot closer to home, I would say. Um, our clown mentor and teacher, David McMurray-Smith, who has gone on to direct many of our shows, continues to be uh, a role model and and it has done a fantastic job of keeping our our uh, compasses focused on, on the heart of the theatre mm-hmm. and the, the heart of the message that we're trying to, mm-hmm. trying to convey. So, so I... I like to use him as a as a a guide to make sure that we're still moving on the right track. But also, the people that I we, many of the people that we were in that first community theater show with, called Hard Times Hit Parade, many of them have since become professional performers in their own right, uh, mm-hmm. exploring things with shadow puppetry or dance or clown. And mm-hmm. and those are the influences that are around us day to day. And I. You know, I'm I'm constantly uh, inspired by how people take risks. You know, people might pick up an instrument, not really identifying themselves as being a musician, but the next thing you know, all of a sudden they're playing that instrument in a show in front of in front of their audiences, just taking a risk and trying a new thing, and 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 being willing to share. Mm-hmm. That, that so it sounds of, like what you're describing, yeah. Alistair, is that there's a there's a there's an influence, yes, but it becomes personal and it becomes um, rooted in your own relationship to your work and to the to the audience and to the community, even because you're talking about how all of this was born from one show that touched many performers. In various ways, and they've become professionals through the through the work. Um, and how what you're describing is that it it becomes unique. It's a it's a unique place to live from, and that maybe there are influences, but they're no longer there in a way, because you've created from there something very personal and and special. Thank you. I, I do. I think, I think so a, a little beyond. A little, uh, perhaps beyond the question you asked, I would say that Alistair and I have spent more time performing shows than in theater classes. Uh, And so a lot of our influence comes from the audiences that we share our work with. Um, And that what tickles their funny bone, what has us feeling more connected Uh, are things that we try to harness for the next show. Mm -hmm. None of our shows are completed. They're all works in progress. Mm -hmm. Um, Not in that, yeah, we bring them to stages and we uh, we perform them. They're ready. But we're always open to better ideas or being influenced by the changing conversation, you know, what's going on in the world. Um, as mm-hmm. you know, uh, changing our sensitivities uh, as we in, in the last few years, as there's been a lot of conversation around uh, consent in 
interaction, um, it's made us just a lot more uh, conscious and aware in how we invite people into participating. Um, like, we want to create an invitation where people feel comfortable stepping into the opportunity, but also comfortable to not if they don't want to. And in theater, when there's four or 500 people in, in the audience, uh, it, it's a real, it's a real, uh, I guess, uh, we've learned so much from the doing of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so talking true. with people after the show, it's, uh, it's a kind of research that I don't know if you could get without just doing it. Without the experience um, And also of it. seeing how other artists do it themselves. So the like, experience has uh, brought you uh, into I'm, a whole way of being with your audience. Oh, it's... Yeah. Yeah. And if that experience is, is to some degree based on a, a form of improvisation where you're saying that it's of the moment, it can't be, you can't, you can script it to some degree, but there's always going to be things that will come up and invite you to be with the audience in a way that you've, you haven't been before perhaps, or that it's a new thought or new experience. How do you, like, can you talk a little bit about what it feels like to be on that edge and to to have to meet maybe moments of si- absolute silence where you do, or absolute, you know, in maybe a little bit of an insane moment. I mean, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Something I appreciated uh, over the last few months is, is that the audience play is sort of the third, the third character in our shows. So my partner, Stephanie, uh, Maureen Robert is, is, pregnant and having a baby any day now. So, so for the current tour that we're on, we trained a, uh, a dear friend and a fabulous performer, Sadie Ostrello, to, to play the role of Jamesy. And, and so I spent, well, we all spent a lot of time in the rehearsal studio, uh, rehearsing the show. And then I toured with this, the show the last week and, and was there sort of as an outside eye, and one of the main things to to draw her attention to was was to leave space for the audience to respond and to really hear them. Mm-hmm. And and it, you know we're we're on that edge of yes anything could happen. We're also very familiar with our shows, so especially the ones we've done a lot, obviously. Um, and so rather than trying to be on the edge of we don't know what's going to happen or, wow, this, this is a new moment that we've never experienced before, with each show we're trying to do a, approach the script and approach the structure in such a way where we are reliving it every time. So we are, we are in mm. the discovery. Even if we know what the discoveries are going to be, we actually have to feel those discoveries and give space for the audience to discover them with us. So Aaron mentioned his pants tearing. Well, that happens in, in every show now of that, of that particular show. And we play it as if it's happening for the first time. <laughs> and, and if we're able to enjoy it and, and be surprised by it ourselves, 
And then it, it, it is real. It is a bonding moment with the audience. We're not just pulling the fleece, their, the fleece over their eyes. We are actually living that surprise again and, mm-hmm. and discovering it again and discovering the delight in it. Mm-hmm. And that happens throughout the show. You know, the, the tearing of the pants, we play it off as if it's a mistake. But mm-hmm. uh, there's many elements of the show that, that are just fun discoveries or fun impromptu improvs that, that are less uh, apparently a mistake and this more have just become a part of the fabric of the show. But we need to play them like we're surprised every time. And we have to surprise each other and allow ourselves to be surprised. I think mm-hmm. that's the thing that we need to keep in mind on stage is is to to have the character and the player be be really on the edge of we're not really sure what's going to happen. Where you know it, I I can know what's happening because I don't know what what my performance partner is going to do and I don't know how the audience is going to respond. And my the next thing that I do is going to be driven from everything that's led up to that moment, including the audience response, including uh, what the other performer has done. So it's a, it's a lovely way of saying that um, to be surprised or to be open uh, requires that, yes, you have a sense of where you're going because you know a little bit about the script, but the moment itself has to play itself out to you fully in order for it to be a full play, to be able to engage everybody. And that's where it's it's like a personal, it's an emotional, it's a mental, it's it, the whole body. Everybody's taken by everybody else in the play. It, it sounds like you you're telling me that I have to be really open and enjoy playing <laughs> in order for me to not just make it the same thing over and over well, again. Well, I, I wouldn't put the pressure on you to say <laughs> that you have to be anything. Um, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? Immediately when we use that language. It makes it harder to be open. Uh-huh. And I think it's easy for people to feel compelled to participate when they see uh, the connection or the joy, or they start feeling it because they're laughing at something that's happening, right. that they're kind of struck with delight, like maybe a gentle strike with delight. And... Uh, <laughs> and they they want to be a part of it because it, it's genuine joy. It, mm-hmm. You don't see dogs playing in a park, uh, like just playing a game, like back and forth, running around, got your tail, and and like that doesn't make anyone grumpy. You know, you don't see mm-hmm. a cat play with a ball of yarn and think, "Oh, that darn cat." It's I think it elicits smiles. There's something in in the physicality and the connecting of the joy that you're seeing, the play that you're seeing, that that connects us all, and it's it's separate from language. And it's one reason that when you were talking about influences, I think it's one reason that I really gravitate to the more physical influences, physical comedy. I find when I really connect with uh, physical comedy that I'm watching, uh, it's easier for that to move my body, like I feel uh, an emotional movement, and also maybe makes me want to move a little myself. Uh, and so when, like when, when Alistair and I share these, these moments, that we're, these games that we're playing on stage, these um, things that delight one or the other or both of us, uh, the audience can tell that the actors are having a good time, that actors yeah. are genuinely playing. 
So the and then, way. and it's a safe space to yeah. to be in the presence of that and have it unfold, and even be on the edge of thinking that oh, that's not out of their control, but they weren't planning that, and they're still having a good time. Um, <laughs> it, it kind of wets well, the appetite I'm, of the audience for like mm, wanting more, and they can participate in that and have some for themselves. So, Aaron, I'm thanking you for that. We're going to be taking a, a moment's break here. Would you like to um, tell our audience uh, or the, the listeners today, um, where is James, where are James and Jamesy going to be playing soon? Are you, um, do you have any shows up at this time? Is there any way you can orient them? Yeah, well, I would say uh, we're in the midst of our Christmas shows tour. With our show. Oh, sorry, go on, Alistair. Uh, okay, right now we're in the midst of our Christmas tour, which is our show, Oh Christmas Tea. And that one is playing throughout British Columbia and Washington and Oregon. Lovely. Lovely. Oh Christmas so, uh, Tea. And they can find that oh on your Christmas website? Tea. Yes, com. That's James is spelled J-A-M-E-S-Y. Okay. So I'm thanking you today for being with us. And we're just going to take a, a quick moment's break and we'll come right back and speak a little bit more about James and Jamesy. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Five Blossom Gatherings is the website and program from Denise Richard. By visiting FiveBlossomGatherings.com, you'll find out more about Denise's professional Tai Chi and Qigong services. Explore her website and view works of art and much more. You can book healing and counseling sessions with Denise. She works with clients who have health interests and concerns. Her programs include Knowing Your Whole Body, Self-Care for Your Health, and Inspiring Wholeness. Visit 5BlossomGatherings.com today. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to 5 Blossom Radio. Connect with the program today by calling in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to 5 Blossom Gatherings at gmail.com. Now, back to 5 Blossom Radio. So welcome back to 5 Blossom Radio with Denise Richard and Aaron Malkin and Alistair Knowles, who played James and Jamesy. So uh, looking, uh, we're looking at the making of um, some comedy and how uh, they bring people together in a very unique way. We 
love to see them on stage where they gather people and engage the audience with um, with delight, with absolute delight. I'd like to also comment that this is a very strong experience for, for Canada to have um, unique uh, and a very unique brand of, of comedy here. So you've been explaining to us, uh, Alistair and Aaron, that this is this has been in the making for about, what, eight years, and that you've been creating shows. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the different shows that you've made? You've made two or three so far that you that have been really successful? Uh, well, we've... Uh, so, go ahead, Alistair. The first show we made was called uh, Two for Tea, which is about these two British chaps. One is quite an eccentric, and one is uh, more of a conventional gentleman. And they get together for tea, and they challenge each other to, to go in this world of the imagination, and that uh, the audience is there and can be part of that experience with us. It's all very proper and absurd. And mm-hmm. the first year we toured that, we toured it to fringe festivals across Canada. And for those of you that aren't familiar, fringe festivals are an amazing platform for independent theater producers to create whatever they can dream up. It's an unjuried festival series that uh, really spreads across Canada and even internationally as well. And and so we, we we came up with this these two fun characters, James and Jamie. And when we finished that tour in September of that summer, we thought, well, we can either call it quits, quits until the next festival season starts up in May, or we can keep performing. And we started renting theaters and and continued continued performing two for D, knowing that we wanted to create more. So we created a subsequent show called High Tea, which has since become our Christmas show, now titled Oh Christmas Tea. And that's really our uh, the largest touring show we have. It, as sort of cliche as it is, there's an amazing marketing power of Christmas, and Christmas lends itself to people coming together with the understanding that they're going to step into the world of the imagination together and, and, and be in the, in the whimsy. Mm-hmm. The Nutcracker. The Nutcracker is really about toys coming to life. It's about imagination, and, and it's also, you know, the most popular Christmas thing ever. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, so we were able to to benefit from audiences coming to our shows with that that sort of the lore of Christmas. Mm-hmm. All right, and, uh, a show that Aaron and I are, are particularly proud of is called In the Dark. Aaron, do you want to speak to that? I would love to sure. hear In the Dark. Please, I, I've actually seen In the Dark. I saw it when you first began the the promo. You're asking people to kind of come in and take a look and, and give a little bit of a reflection on what you were creating. And um, to me, In the Dark was one of the most spectacular pieces I'd seen in a long time where I felt you highlighted a deep intelligence. And I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about where In the Dark came from for you. Uh, it, uh, I never know where our creations are going to be sourced from. Uh, and the things that are going on for us inevitably find their ways into our work. Alistair and I had been hired to um, to be theatrical animators of 
a campground space at the Winnipeg Folk Festival, um, meaning that we would rove around and just be engaging performers for the people doing whatever they were doing there. Um, and uh, we, we realized that if we wanted to do stuff at night, we needed to be illuminated. Or that's what occurred to us as, as a great way to get focus. Uh, and so we went to a thrift store, and they, there was a, a lampshade in a, in a bin. I, I, I picked it up, and Alistair <laughs> said, put it on your head. And the rest is, <laughs> and that's the show. Uh, <laughs> so we, um, <laughs> we ended up putting uh, a strong, long-lasting uh, flashlight in that, fastened them to helmets, and we created these two headlamps that looked like gramophones on our heads. There's a three-piece gray suit. Alistair already had one, so we said, get that. And then we just improvised for a lot longer than we were supposed to at this <laughs> festival. Because we were, we had, well, every, yeah, every night we, we thought, well, we're, we don't have, to, we only have to perform for half an hour, but I'm okay with just putting our costumes on and performing all night until we <laughs> sort of fall over from exhaustion. Because it was, it was really magical, the, the response we were getting from the audience. Firstly, people were wondering why we were dressed up in costumes. So why why are we doing what we were doing? And so why were you walking more, around with three-piece suits and headlamps, like 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 lampshades on your head? <laughs> exactly. And, and people were wondering, like, why are you doing what you're doing? And who are you? And who are you supposed to be? <laughs> so those questions, you know, why are you doing what you're doing? Who are you? And who are you supposed to be? That's great. Those are pretty fundamental questions to ask oneself. And if I would add to that, um, what was uh, an unintended consequence of the costume was because it was so dark, whatever we looked at quickly became a focus when you were close by. So from a distance, people would run up to us wondering what's going on. And then when they got to us, whatever we were looking at was really eliminated. So we feigned to think people would quickly ask to get to get photos, and we thought they wanted us to be the lighting for their photos. <laughs> so that we weren't the, <laughs> the subjects of their interests. We were just facilitators of their experience. Uh, and so we ended up playing these games created by the what are you supposed to be? Who are you? Who are you? What, what, what are you doing? Um, it became a very fun game uh, with the lighting and not knowing what the focus was. And it turned into them. We played games that they didn't realize initially where we turned them into the focus. And mm -hmm. I remember an episode where we ended up having someone conducting 20, 30 other people as though they were a choir and we were just backing up, lighting the whole thing back. And then eventually we just turned away and trotted off like horses into the distance. Um, it, it, these magical uh, episodes and interactions were created through the intrigue and delight that the, 
audience got from interacting with us and that we got from being in this unique scenario. So, Aaron, in the dark is how, how many minutes is it? How long is it usually? It's, I mean, we have a 60-minute and a 75-minute version. So you have create you created a show based on something that's very delicate because you're not talking much in the show really it's really not about dialogue it's about interaction isn't it would you say that um, you had to you had to somehow put content or context to something that's 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 almost it's like um i can't even describe how it has no form to it in a way because it's out of uh, out of context it's, it's i think it's part of our curiosity was Having, um, Go on, officer. It's interesting that uh, it's interesting that he doesn't have a lot of dialogue because actually it has, I think, a similar amount of dialogue to our other shows, but just the visual content of the show is is so rich, and the dialogue is so simple. Mm-hmm. Simple, uh, simple. People leave thinking, "Oh, there wasn't much to say. There wasn't much said." <laughs> We've also heard someone say, "Oh, that show was so simple; it could have been written by a three-year-old." Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because the the dialogue is continuously exploring the who are you, why are you here, and who are you supposed to be, mm-hmm. and and so we we keep revisiting that. And much like who's on first, you know, the who's mm-hmm. on first um, in Costello's kit is is just a simple question. It's someone trying to figure out who's all they're, all they're saying is trying to figure out who's where on the baseball pitch. But because they keep revisiting the question and from different angles. You get this rich understanding and misunderstanding, and that mm-hmm. understanding and misunderstanding about who we are and why we're here and what we are all doing together is it makes life. You know, everyone has a different idea as to why they're there and what's important and what they should or shouldn't be doing. And we're so in the dark. The as dark. Our awareness. Do you do you have any um, do you have any special moments where in the dark uh, gave you some an experience a good story that you'd like to share? Yeah, you know there are in, in terms of specifics. I think in the dark succeeds most when I feel there is a real discovery when we when we see the audience for the first time and mm-hmm. really really see them and that sense of, whoa, quite a profound understanding that we're all here together, in the dark, together. And that is it. That is is all that's important. Um, Mm -hmm. To appreciate the context of that, uh, just the, 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 the setup is that there's two individuals who think that they each are alone in existence. Mm-hmm. And they have a simple task to perform, and they happen upon each other mm-hmm. on the same stage, mm-hmm. and that kind of blows their minds. That they and actually then, see each other. They find each other. Over the course of uh, over the course of um, trying to understand what other is, together they discover that they're not alone in the theater. They discover the audience, and that just kind of escalates the the mind blow. <laughs> Um, to a whole oh, new yeah. level. Mm-hmm. The really fun moment there is when we discover that not only is there someone else there, but that there's the, that other person has a back. And that whole concept of there's a part of me that I can't see, that only other people wow. can see, wow. is 
is literal. There is a literal part of me that I can't see, but there's also a richness in that, in that other people can see elements of ourselves that we can't. And so it, I think that's uh, quite a humbling appreciation. You're highlighting the whole concept, on a basic level. The whole concept of who am I changes its shape, changes its proportion when there's someone else there who can reflect mm-hmm. parts of you to yourself. Beautiful. Really beautiful. So talking about the, the it, it's so simple and it's so profound and it, it, it's, it's hard to put words to it. And it, I'm enjoying the, you know, this little bit of struggle I'm having going, how do I say this? How do I describe this as the, as the, as the viewer, as the audience? And how do you, how do you share that, everything that you know and the experiences you've had with, uh, with the experience of that? But it, it feels to me like to set something up that's that profound, you have to have many people. So you have your director. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about the other relationships that are meaningful that come into play when putting together something like that? The influences that way. Could you? I think I think it's people in with different words. Mm-hmm. Well, so okay, I'll have a stab at answering it first. Sure, uh, don't mind. Um, yeah, I think the people in my life that challenged me to, to investigate those questions. Like, you know, why do you think something is so important? Mm-hmm. Or challenge me to, to identify in a new way. Uh, you know, I think of um, children learning to identify as, as something. You know, you are a fill-in-the-blank or you like blank, or you're good at this, and you're not good at the other thing. You know, these are identities that we we can somewhat choose to hold on to as we grow into adulthood. Mm-hmm. And and I think the people around me that challenge challenge that journey of my that identity of myself is uh, I lean into, and I think goes a long way into keeping the richness alive. Mm-hmm. You know, if I finish the show in the dark, great, we just made a show, and in my life, well, back to, back to where I was right when I left, right when I embarked on this project, I would say that's, well, that's not true, because <laughs> uh, performing the show asks us, asks, we're asking those questions throughout the show mm-hmm. and throughout our lives. So the the beauty here is that you're, you're saying that it, it, it's a big picture, isn't it? I think figure. so. I mean, I like. I hope so too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's it's. I love. I love that it's inclusive, and I love that it's fresh to the moment. But I also feel like you're talking about uh, an experience. I, I've had the experience three times of seeing your show, of that show, and every time I see it, I see it a little differently, of course, because it's a new moment. But the beauty is that you're talking about a, a common experience of, of awakening or, 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 or revealing itself in that moment. But there's lots behind it. It's not just the show going on. There, there's there's the director who helped you. There's the you know the theater theater people, the theater craft itself that that supports it. There's the community that supports it. And I love to to hear about the way that you relate to all of that. That that's what creates mm. James and Jamesy. 
I think one thing about the show that has it working the way it does is the simple language we use allows each audience member to connect to it in a way that works for them. Lovely. So we use words like setting the stage, which can mean so much. <laughs> and going to the next stage can mean so much. I mean, it, it, in, in a theater, it has a literal meaning. Mm -hmm. um, but when we're talking about your identity and your function in life, everyone, I think, can relate to that from where they are in their own life. What's mm -hmm. going on? What's mm -hmm. important to them? How they see themselves? Mm -hmm. What they aspire to, if anything? And so there's something, I think, that's quite potent in the simple language used that allows a layering of meaning in most of the dialogue of the show. So one thing about the show, you talk about learning or seeing it in a new way each of the times you've seen it. Each time we come back to the show, like we have a tour of In the Dark this spring, um, I'm really excited to come back to the show because I'll have had so many experiences since I've done it, both as a performer and in life. And I will experience it in a new way and make new meaning out of the words that will have it be as alive in me as it has ever been or more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think one, uh, I would say David McMurray Smith was, was the lead writer of the specific words uh, mm -hmm. for the show. Um, and it was kind of built around what we brought to rehearsal and what we wanted to do. We wanted to take the experience we had at that Winnipeg Folk Festival, prancing around at, you know, six hours at night, uh, wondering how can we bring, we had so much fun, how can we bring that into the theater? And David was kind of a mastermind in helping us find a way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a co-creation. Yeah, co I want to give a little shout out too to some other people that have really helped make the shows possible. Within the dark, we have an amazing costume designer, Keith Arbuthnot, who who primarily works in film, but he saw our work and and donated his time to turn our pre rudimentary bike helmet and lampshade into something that's it's a, a really one of a kind custom uh, custom costume. So that really. Uh, it, it, the message of of the discovery, the sense of discovery through through the costume. Mm -hmm. uh, we also tour with some amazing technicians. Um, Alberto White and Catherine Johnstone are touring with us now, and and they their their skill level is just really amazing, and they're so friendly to work with, and they mm -hmm. believe in what we're trying to do. Exactly, so they're there. They're friends, and they enjoy the they, we enjoy working together. But they also share that enjoyment of seeing the audience uh, emerge and play, mm -hmm. uh, and and I think having having our team, even even our administrative team, uh, they're people that have seen us do the shows and and been inspired by sort of I don't want to say inspired by us, but inspired by more, by our goals, the goals mm -hmm. of, of engagement. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. so it's, uh, I think it's 
it's really important that all those people that we work with have that have a shared have a shared heart <laughs> for that. We were given guidance by uh, a fellow named Tim Tellity who who produces theater in Canada uh, maybe six years ago, back when Aaron and I used to do play all the different roles in our in our company. Uh, he said, "So you've got your babies, you've got your shows. At some point, you're going to need to let someone else in, and you're going to need to let someone. You're going to need to trust people mm-hmm. that they can hold the vision." Exactly. For you so, as well. Yeah, it's it's and profound. It's it's and it's been really really cool to to have that trust grow. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. it's no longer it doesn't feel like it's it's our it's our vision that we're trying mm-hmm. to make happen. Uh, even the structure of our society, we were a uh, for profit partnership, and now we're. We operate as a not-for-profit society out of British Columbia, mm-hmm. uh, and and that very structure means that we're accountable to the community. Lovely. That feels really positive to me that you've taken something from the grassroots and you've uh, really gone through a process of creating a community that's supporting community. And it, uh, it's, it's a pleasure for me to hear that. When I had a moment where I was recalling when you were talking of... Um, seeing one of your performances, it was the old Christmas tea performance, and there was moments of silence, and I can't remember what you were doing on stage, it was something pretty radical, uh, but the the moment I recall is this, where um, I heard a giggle from a, a, young, a young child, it was a very young voice, but beside that, and with that, I also heard an elder crack up. And the feeling of community, the feeling of the range that you're touching on from the young child to the elderly, and everybody was then roaring together. And that feeling of um, of a bigger picture being being touched and that we could all play together in that moment. That was a, a very, it was a beautiful moment. And I'm I'm appreciating uh, that you've been able to take the time here. We only have a few minutes left. Um, I'd like to, again, uh, ask you if you want to share a little bit with our, our listeners about oh, Christmas tea coming up, as you mentioned, and anything else that you'd like to let them know about. Sure. Our well, oh, Christmas tea plays is, uh, we, um, we were in the Edinburgh Fringe uh, Festival a few years ago and learned there so much seeing some of the best theater from around the world. And it's, uh, Oh Christmas Tea is our, kind of our biggest production. And we, a lot of what we learned in Edinburgh, we've brought into our Oh Christmas Tea production. Um, so we, we travel with technicians and, and it's happening right now. We have a show tomorrow in Courtney, BC. We have shows all over BC and, okay. uh, in uh, Oregon and Washington. And you can find out information about the dates and the specific cities on our website, jamesandjamesy.com. We're excited to be bringing that show to uh, other provinces and states next year. Um, jamesandjamesy.com, actually, you'll be able to see also Alistair and I have each created solo shows uh, and information about our other shows. Um, so if you want to... Uh, to follow us or find out more about us, you can sign up for a newsletter there and, and just keep up to date uh, when we might come to your city and do a show and maybe even teach a workshop. 
Wonderful. So I'm appreciating your time because the creating a climate of care is is uh, a process and it involves a lot of people. It's uh, it's 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 a it's a focus that many of us are choosing uh, in our in our co-creative uh, space here. And I'm Five Blossom Gatherings, Five Blossom Radio is uh, is essentially interested in that space that you've created. We highlight uh, programs as well as uh, training that supports people to find a little bit of that quiet space inside and find the joy of 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 engagement. So uh, for those of you listening who would like to know more about Five Blossom Gatherings. You can go to fiveblossomgatherings at gmail.com. Also coming up uh, in the near future, on December 12th, we have a little freebie in Vancouver where we're offering a flying crane qigong workshop, which is uh, a very simple way of saying that I'm going to share you some very simple ancient moves that help us have a little fun and play a little bit and uh, find good grounding together. So, Erin and Alistair, thank you for my, thank you for your James and Jamesy today, and thank you for uh, being able to share with us some of your your good work. Do you have a do you have you have a few moments? Would you like to say something? Say goodbye to our audience. Well, thanks so much for having us, Denise. It's you know we often have interviews where it's mostly focused about a very specific upcoming show, so it's really just nice to have a chance to to talk about the work and the uh, and the heart behind it. Thank you. Thank you. And Aaron, would you like anything? Uh, what he said, only better. Ah. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm giving you both a big hug and saying thank you again. And uh, best of luck with your shows. Thank you for joining us this week for Five Blossom Radio with Denise Richard. Please tune into our next program. We're live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we speak again, may you have a harmonious week.